0: Morning. My name is Joel Schofield and I'm one of the elders here at Hope and I am so looking forward to opening God's word this morning with you all. In 1966, President Lyndon Johnson instituted the presidential fitness exam for kids. Some of you may remember being in elementary school and taking this exam. Some of you may still have nightmares about taking it. And so there were a whole bunch of different physical activities that that you had to do as part of this. So there was the sit and reach, which determined your flexibility. There was the chin up test, which determined your upper body strength. And as far as I can remember, The most popular exam amongst the kids in my class was the shuffle run. And this was a speed and quickness test. But on the other hand, the least popular was the mile run, which determined your endurance. Now for kids, it's not surprising that distance running is typically more likable, or, or sprinting is typically more likable than distance running. Because with sprinting, there is some instant gratification. There's an adrenaline rush where you can run as fast as you can and then be done quickly. Distance running, on the other hand, takes sustained hard work. It's not flashy. This principle can be applied to the way that many Americans approach life typically we like things that come quickly that we don't have to wait for we don't like having to endure through the often mundane times of life we don't like enduring but this is a problem that predates american culture today we're going to look at a letter written to a group of first century christians who struggled with enduring in the most important and lasting area of life, spiritual endurance. In our passage, we'll see how enduring in faith is possible and, in fact, essential to the way Christians live. So with that said, I invite you to grab a Bible. You can feel free to grab a Bible from the seat in front of you. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and it's on page 1008 of those seat Bibles. And as you turn, I'd like to provide a little bit of context for this passage in the book of Hebrews. If you'd like to sum up Hebrews in a short phrase, you could summarize it this way Jesus is better. The author of Hebrews went to great lengths to argue and explain why Jesus is the better and true fulfillment of everything that happened in the first two-thirds of the Bible, what Christians call the Old Testament. Because Jesus is better, the author calls his readers to endure in their faith, and he uses the illustration of distance running and an explanation of the fatherhood of God to call them to endure. So with that said, let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. This text explains how to endure in faith. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this short phrase out. We can endure in faith by and then place a colon underneath there will be three motivations for us to endure in our faith so motivation number one listening to God's faithful followers the author begins chapter 12 by comparing the Christian life to running a distance race Look at verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The first thing we need to ask is, who are the great cloud of witnesses? The answer is found in Hebrews chapter 11. So when we back up and look at chapter 11, we see that this chapter describes the faith of many of the great heroes of the Old Testament. Hebrews 11 provides examples of people who endured in their faith. People like Abraham who trusted God's promises. People like Noah who in faith built an ark after God warned about a coming destruction. People like Moses who in faith crossed the Red Sea. And so in verse 1 we see the image of a packed crowd of people present in an ancient arena watching a race. But the crowd present at the race are not merely spectators. They are those Old Testament people who endured in their life of faith. But our tendency is to immediately assume that the writer is encouraging the readers to look back and to simply remember those dead Old Testament heroes. Kind of like you do when you read a biography. And our other tendency is to assume that the author is telling his readers to just Try hard to be like those heroes. Now, looking back over the course of history to great men and women of faith is certainly helpful. But that's not the motivation for running the race that the author gives. Instead, the motivation for running the race is the noise that the cloud of witnesses make. The cloud of witnesses are meant to be heard, to be listened to. Much like the fans at Gillette Stadium are meant to be heard. Gillette Stadium is supposed to be a loud place where the Patriots play. The fans' role is to cheer their team on. But in this passage, the thunderous noise that the cloud of witnesses create doesn't come from their mouths. It comes from the way that these Old Testament Men and women faithfully endured and lived the life of faith. And the collective message they send is this. Enduring in your faith is possible. Enduring in your faith is possible. Christians, you're not the first ones to struggle with enduring in your faith. You're not alone in the life of faith. We might be tempted to think that we're all alone if we're one of the few Christians where we work or at our schools or in our neighborhoods but don't let that fool you into thinking that you're trying to endure in your faith alone one of the chief motivations for enduring in the race of faith comes through listening to God's faithful followers because of this motivation Look at what the second half of verse 1 says. Let us lay aside every weight. This was a reference to preparing to run a race. Whenever a runner prepares to run, they get rid of anything excess, any unnecessary clothing, any unnecessary jewelry, And historically speaking, the ancient Greek custom was that athletes would typically run naked. Now, of course, this is just an illustration here. The writer is referring to a spiritual race. So this implies that there are things in life that are not wrong or forbidden in the Bible, but they can make Christian endurance harder. As you think about your own life, are there ways in which you might be holding on too tightly to good things? Good things that might be distracting you from enduring in your faith? There are so many ways in which this could play out. One example would be work. Work is a good thing. God created us to work. But there can be times that we get caught up in the work that we're doing that we are completely oblivious to the work of God around us. Or here's another example. Family. Family is a good thing. Family is a blessing from God. But there can be times that we're caught up in what we're doing as a family that, that we fail to recognize the family of God and participate in the life of our church family. Or here's another one. Theology. Now I wouldn't stand up here today if I didn't think theology was important. I do believe in thinking through doctrine and our theology. But there can be times when Christians get caught up in the obscure details of the Bible where we don't really know the answer to these details, but Christians will make these the soapbox issues that they cling to. Work. Family and theology are examples of important things that we all must value. But an overemphasis on these things can weigh us down as we seek to endure in our life of faith. Look back at the middle of verse 1 as we see what else can keep us from enduring. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sin is the antithesis to endurance. The Bible shows that this problem of sin plagues everyone. No one is perfect. We all have sins that we cling to closely. This reality of sin has plagued humanity ever since the first humans, Adam and Eve, walked the earth. Every one of the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 sinned. Every Old Testament hero was a sinner. Moses didn't do what God told him to do, and so he was kept out of the promised land. Noah got drunk. David had an affair with another man's wife. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat the sin lives of its people. So because of the reality of sin in our lives, and because sin is the antithesis to endurance, you may ask, well, if that's the case, how are we to run with endurance the race that is set before us? And the answer is found in the second motivation for enduring in faith. Motivation number two is looking to Jesus. We can endure in our faith by looking to Jesus. We'll see this in verses 2 through 4. Look at verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So everyone in the Old Testament didn't endure in their faith perfectly, but Jesus did. So the image that we see here in verse 2 is one of every runner's motivation. When you run a race, you need to look ahead. And so the picture for Christians here is that Jesus is up ahead. He's the one we're running towards. He's the one we're looking to. But Jesus is not some out-of-shape coach with chewing gum in his mouth. No, Jesus ran the same exact race that every Christian runs. But he ran it perfectly. He never sinned. Christians. Do you realize that Jesus is the only reason why you're in the race in the first place? If Jesus never ran the race perfectly, the race would be impossible for us because of the reality of sin in our lives. One commentator says, Jesus has cleared the path of faith so that we may run it. The way is open And although hurdles exist, the roadblocks have been removed. Let's look back at verse 2 to see how Jesus made this possible. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus made it possible to endure in faith by enduring a brutal death on the cross. He took our sin, our shame, and three days later, after his death, he arose from the grave. And we see here that he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you're here today and you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, this is what we want you to see. We invite you to consider this message about Jesus. Because if we're to stay true to the intent of this text, it's all about spiritual endurance here. So the image of enduring in the race of faith can't apply to those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. So with that said, if you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, I wonder, what is your motivation as you seek to endure through life? What are you running towards? Some will say that it, that, it's, that our bodies are, the, are, are an important factor in making it through life. And that if we exercise regularly and if we eat well, then we'll be healthy be okay and we can endure through life others will say that that it's about the intellect and that if we're always stretching our mind and we're learning new things and we're learning about ways to improve different systems then, then that's how you endure others will say that it's about relationships and that if you have healthy relationships with your family and healthy relationships with your friends, then that's how you endure through life. Now, we would say that these are all good things. But we would be naive to assume that we can have these things even if we work hard at them. We can assume that our bodies will always work right or be healthy even if we exercise and eat healthily. We can assume that our minds will always function correctly even if we do everything right. We can't assume that our relationships will always be healthy. So there's an insufficiency to making these things the motivation for our endurance. But when it comes to spiritual endurance... This passage assumes that enduring in faith in Jesus is something that has lasting value. It's something that never ends. Because for Christians, the end of the race means that you get Jesus fully. He's the one that you're looking to, and he's the one that you get. And even before you finish a race, your friends may let you down, your job may let you down, Other Christians may let you down. But Jesus, he will never let you down. If you never placed your faith in Jesus, I encourage you, would you consider this? If you have questions, I invite you to, maybe you came with a friend or a family member, talk to them or you can catch me after the service. I'd love to talk to you. But what if you are a Christian and you're feeling tired and worn out? What if you are a Christian and you have a suspicion that Jesus may be letting you down? Well then friends, the last portion of this passage is for you. The last half of this text was addressed to those Christians in the first century who were feeling tired, and it addressed those who were feeling burnt. So let's see how looking to Jesus helps us now before we finish the race. Look at verses 3 through 4. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We need to remember who this was written to. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, we see that these people were facing persecution at the hands of unbelievers. And so in verse 4, when the writer says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, the author is making a comparison here. He reminds the readers that Jesus endured the ultimate brutal death on the cross and then reminds them they hadn't even been physically hurt by those persecuting them. So in essence, he's reminding them that Jesus endured the harder persecution. And because of that, they too could endure the lesser persecution they were faced with at that time. So the message was, don't give up hope. A Christian's life is never over, no matter how bleak circumstances get. Looking to Jesus is an essential motivation for us to endure. But if we're honest, there are times in our life when we feel completely crippled by the hurdles of life. There are times when we feel like we can't go on. And so how are we to think rightly when we go through those times? Well, the author of Hebrews knows this. And so the author gives yet another motivation for readers to endure. And it has to do with the way that Christians are to think about God as our Father. So this brings us to motivation number three. Motivation number three. Letting God be our spiritual Father. We can endure in our faith by letting God be our spiritual Father. We'll see this in verses 5 through 11. So the author switches illustrations here. He switches the illustration from running a race and instead focuses on the fatherhood of God. And he encourages Christians to think about God as a spiritual father that he is. And what does every good father do to help his children grow? Every good father shows tough love from time to time. Another word we use for this is discipline. Every good father disciplines his children. But before we go ahead into what this text says, I'd like to mention three things that God's discipline is not. First, God's discipline is not condemnation or punishment condemnation and punishment relates to the law and what happens when the law or a rule is broken it means that a person who did something wrong gets exactly what they deserved for the committed offense but christians will never get condemned or punished by god because jesus absorbed every drop of punishment on the cross for us And so because of this, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second, God's discipline is not intended to explain all suffering or why bad things happen to good people. And so because of this, it's not something that we want to bring up with a non Christian friend or with somebody who's going through some intense suffering. Often, the best things that you could do when you're with somebody who is suffering is just to sit with them and to be with them and to listen to them. Third, God's discipline most of the time should not be thought of on a case-by-case basis. So often when we go through life and we're going through a hard thing, we might have a temptation to, to say, well, this must be happening because God's disciplining me. And that's probably not the best way to think about this because we don't know all that God is up to. But instead, it's probably more healthy to look back over your life. And at seasons of your life. And to recognize that yes, God was at work at times disciplining you. But it was for your good. So now that we've talked about what God's discipline is not, let's look at verses 5 through 11 briefly to see what God's discipline really is. In verses 5 through 6 we see that God the Father's tough love is rooted in his love. Look at verse 5. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So the writer highlights the reality that Christians are the adopted children of God. That before somebody becomes a Christian, they are spiritually blind, a slave to sin and spiritually fatherless. But when they experience the saving grace of Jesus, God the Father adopts them into his family. So the writer encourages the reader to remember that God is their spiritual father and that his discipline is rooted in his love for his children. Then in verses 7 through 10, we see that God the Father's tough love is for our good. We see this in verse 7. It says... It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Here the author states what every parent knows. Every parent knows that it's not good for kids to go undisciplined. A child doesn't flourish when a parent won't lovingly discipline their kids. Here in the text, the author goes as far as to say that if God didn't discipline his children, they wouldn't be his children at all. God would never do that. He always treats his children as the true children that they are. Let's look at verse 9 as the explanation continues. Besides this, we have er had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. So we might not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. Here the author describes the good that comes from a healthy relationship with an earthly Father. And he also describes the way in which earthly fathers are limited. So if an earthly father lovingly and appropriately disciplines his kids, most often children will respect their fathers because of this. Now, of course, this respect may not be immediate. It may take even years for children to recognize that their fathers were right when they disciplined them. But on the other hand... This text recognizes that there are times when earthly fathers fail to rightly discipline their children. So in verse 10, when it says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. This is in essence saying that earthly fathers discipline doing as best they know how. But even the best earthly father gets it wrong sometimes. Even the best earthly father lets his anger get the best of him. But God the Father, he never gets it wrong. He never disciplines because he's in a bad mood. He never disciplines out of sinful anger. He's a perfect, loving father, and his discipline is always for our good. Moving on to verse 11, we see that God the Father's tough love is hard at times, but it's worth it. Let's start with the first half of verse 11. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that this verse is here. Sometimes Christians give off this idea that we shouldn't admit when we're going through a hard time or difficult circumstances. Sometimes Christians act like they're supposed to have it all together, even though we really don't. But acting like this just isn't biblical. And when it comes to God's discipline of us, this text says all of it, not just some of it, all of it feels painful rather than pleasant. So it doesn't try to diminish the pain we may feel. But God's discipline is not intended to crush us. So when you're going through it, let him be your spiritual father. It's worth it in the end. Let's look at the second half of verse 11 to see why it's worth it. It says, But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God is making you more like Christ as you live your life. And his discipline, though difficult at times, is rooted in his love And it's for your good. So let God be your spiritual father. In this passage, we've seen that enduring in faith is possible no matter what circumstance of life we're in. We can endure in faith by listening to God's faithful followers, looking to Jesus, and letting God be our spiritual father. As always, when we reach the end of a text like this, we must ask the question, well, so what? What are the implications of this on our lives? And I think an appropriate response is found in verses 12 through 13. Let's look at verses 12 through 13. It says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Friends, the Christian life is intended to be one of faithful endurance. So parents of young kids, I know it feels like your life is crazy right now and your home is a mess and you're not getting enough sleep. But listen to the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before you and who are shouting, enduring in your faith is possible. 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds. I know it feels like your body is breaking down. That it feels like you don't have the zip in your step like you used to have. But look to Jesus whose body was broken down completely so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Teenagers, I know that everyone's putting pressure on you. You don't know what you want to do with your life, and everyone's asking you. Everyone's asking you, oh, where are you going to go to college? And you don't know. But God knows exactly what your life holds. And he will be with you through the hard times, and he will have grace for you to endure each and every day. Empty nesters. Your life is not over now that your kids are out of the house. Your Heavenly Father has not stopped working on you. Singles, you may be made to feel like you're less than because you don't have a spouse. But your Heavenly Father does not look at you that way. He sees you as a true child that you are. Faithful endurance is possible. Church, may this be a year for us that's marked by faithful endurance. If you're here and you feel like you might be failing at this, remember God has grace for you. To close, A few years ago, I was hiking with my son Sam, and he was just learning how to hike. And so it was hard for him to stay focused on the trail. So, what I found to be helpful was to have him look ahead to the trail markers that lined the trees of the trail. And so that seemed to work pretty well as long as he could see those markers. But when he couldn't see them, he'd get disoriented and he would get scared. Or a squirrel would run across a trail and he'd want to chase after it. And as this was going on, I began to think to myself, you know, when it comes to my faith, I'm a lot like that. I get scared when I don't know how things are playing out in my life. I get frustrated when my plans don't come together. I lose sight of Jesus so easily. And Christians, I'm willing to guess that you do too. But what, from what we've seen here in God's Word is that Faithful endurance is not only possible, but by God's grace, you're going to make it. So lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Let's run this race.